welcome to another episode of Chapter Chat. I will be joined here shortly by my colleague and good friend, Mike, from Grow Now Therapy. And as soon as he gets on here, uh, we are going to get started on tonight's episode. So I am very excited to see that a few of you are here and available. Let's see if we can get Mike on here. Hope you're having a great Monday. Oh, there's Mike. All right, let's do this. Here we go, Mike. Anyways, hope you're having a, a great Monday. Uh, Mike and I always say uh, this is the best day of the weekend. So there he is. Here we are. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? You know, I can't complain. Can't complain. Best day of the week. I see a lot of our friends are logged in already. I know. Awesome. It's exciting. Some it's of the, up. Oh, thank you so much. Everyone complimenting us already. I, I love it. I appreciate it. I think that a lot of people, uh, school-based SLPs, are either back in school already or are headed back to school. Uh, I've never worked in the schools, so for me, this time of year is really no different than any other time of the year. How about you, Mike? Have you ever worked in the school setting? I have. Uh, I did a lot of that for my CFY and directly uh -huh. after. Uh, there's our friend Allison Moulton, yes, TG hello, TGI Allison. Monday. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, this is a really, really busy and crazy time. Uh, for uh, for SLPs. Yeah. Uh, yep. I, I see our, our, our good friend uh, communic communicate there. Yes. Uh, yes. She's she's amazing and look she's forward amazing. to her. We're gonna have her as a guest host. One day. Yes, we I, are. I um, need to get in touch with her and learn a little more about her story. But I think it'll be fun to do some. Uh, you know, have some some people join us uh, and. I don't know. I think it, it can be a fascinating thing. So Mike and I, if you're new uh, to Chapter Chat, we are both speech language pathologists. Mike is on the East Coast uh, in Pennsylvania. I am in the Midwest in Kansas City, Missouri. And we met on Instagram. And yeah. we're like work besties now. Um, we've never met in person, but we someday that's going to happen for sure. Can't uh, wait. Carol. Sorry, Carol. To, I know. We decided <laughs> to start uh, an online book club because so many professionals and parents would like to read uh, some of the reference books that are out there, but so many people are just swamped and just barely keeping their head above water. So Mike and I had this great idea that maybe we'll do the hard part. We'll do the reading. And if you want to follow along, if you have the time, the energy, the ability to follow along with your own copy of the book, or if you want to do an audio book, that's great. But otherwise we'll do the hard part and then we'll meet on Monday nights and just kind of chat. We'll just do one chapter at a time so that it's digestible but mike i do have to say this chapter was quite lengthy very lengthy so and, and, and from page, yep. what 54 to 97 to, that's to, a long chapter and it's quite ironic the uh chapter is called less is more uh so i was I, I was <laughs> i was reading through it and there really wasn't a lot about less is more then all of a sudden you get to the second half of the chapter yeah. and it's really, really driving home that idea yeah. of less is more. That's uh, right. So it's really, really fascinating. Uh, and and I, I, I have to thank our great audience for being here tonight. Yeah. Uh, and all of the messages that I, all the DMs I get and all everyone reaching out because, you know, just like Carrie said, uh, you know, we started this book club, you know, because people are so busy and don't have time to read. But we're also talking about something that people really connect with. People yeah. know that the education system has a lot of flaws. There's a lot of flaws to American education. There's yeah. a lot of flaws to speech and language pathology. 
There's a lot of flaws to IEPs. There's a lot of flaws to how we look at kids. Yeah. And the first book we read, How Children Succeed with Paul Tuff, uh, all of the great, yep, right here, all of the great, <laughs> all of the great ideas uh, that he talked about, he really highlighted a lot of the negatives and what's happening. And he brushed upon the idea of executive functions and how they're not talked about in school. And yeah. now we're looking at a country that completely did a 180 and turned their educational system around. Uh, and it's really, really fascinating how they have incorporated executive functioning into their curriculum and yeah. how they focus on play at a young age and they let kids be kids. And we keep getting these little mini quotes little mini words from these books. So we learned about the cognitive hypothesis. Yep. Uh, and this book talked about child-sized adversity, yep. how important it is to have that. We learned about resilience. We learned about trauma. We learned about stress. And now we're reading this book and we're learning about paraschoola. Uh, yep. And it's, it's so fascinating to me to see a country that has just done it perfectly. Uh, and well, uh, not perfectly, of course. Uh, and I, I did notice that in this chapter, uh, the author did highlight some of the negatives and some things that, you know, weren't going as planned here and there. Some test scores have decreased over recent years. But he uh, had a good explanation for it. I was yes, he did. talking to my husband about it last night. Okay. Once you have a test in place for comparing countries, then other countries start teaching to the test. And once you start teaching to the test, uh. then what happens is... Um, if you were number one, which Finland was, your test scores have to drop because everybody else is now teaching specifically to the test. So that is why Finland is still not 100% sold on the PISA as being the one sole determiner of is your country, do they have a high quality education system? So it, I found it extremely fascinating. I, I'll be honest with you, Mike, sometimes I have to reread a paragraph or a page more than once do you find that like there's so much information i've been doing that my whole life to go wait a minute what did i just read like i just literally this is what a nerd i am you guys so if you don't know <laughs> me i'm a major like research nerd so i was like they keep talking about the oecd oecd yep. and i was like yep. trying to figure out what does oecd stand for and i kept flipping back trying to find it i finally just googled it so they keep talking about comparing finland's education system to all the other oecd countries so mm -hmm. is it okay mike if i start with just explaining what that is is. Please do. I just feel like because it comes up at least 75 times in the chapter um, talking about OECD. So just so you guys know, this is your history lesson for today. It stands <laughs> for the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. And um, there are it's an intergovernmental economic organization that has 38 countries, uh, member countries in it. Uh, of course, the United States is in it. Finland, Japan, Australia, and New Zealand are some of the most recently added. Um, actually, they just added one this year, and that is Costa Rica, was added in 2021. Um, they are looking at countries such as Argentina, Brazil, Croatia. Those are kind of being looked at. But just so you know, the countries in the OECD, um, they are committed to democracy and the market economy. Um, and they work together um, uh, to identify good practices, both for uh, economical and educational, you know, benefit of all the countries. And these tend to be high income economies. So I just thought it'd be nice to give you a little background on what the heck an OECD is, because they kind of talk about it as though we should just know, which I didn't 
know. So I do now. So um, I'm learning uh, lots and lots of really fascinating things. But um, it, uh, we, we obviously are going to have a tough time comparing an OECD country's educational system to, you know, um, a, a country that is not well developed. You know what I mean? So that's why I think it's important to recognize that, that we're talking here about uh, uh, well developed countries. These are democracies um, and these are high income economies. Exactly. Yeah. One thing, obviously, we're reading a book about Finland, uh, but, it, you know, one thing that we're always trying to be cognizant of are the various cultures and yes. different people around the world, of course. So, yes. you know, what's working in Finland? Finland, you know, one thing the author does highlight is their recent increase in diversity. Yep. But when it comes to that, it's never, ever going to come anywhere close to America in terms of right. diversity. Right. Uh, and America has its own problems with diversity, as everyone yes. knows. Mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, the income gap, the achievement gap, all yep. of these issues. Uh, and, you know, but one thing I really appreciate about this book is how Finland was able to make equality and equity. Equity is that, is that number one word that you constantly yep. read basically every paragraph. So if, yeah, you, it, so, so if you're in a town or a, 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 like a, a suburb of, of Finland, whatever it may be, you know, parents don't have to worry about what school they send their kids to. There's really no school choice because that school down the road is exactly the same as the yeah. school two towns over. Uh, yeah. And that's really, that should be the goal of every, every country's education. Right, I, I love that so much. So what I did, Mike, is I just kind of went through my notes and there were six topics that I thought maybe we could, we could just speak on because when we go through the chapter, since it was such a long chapter, uh -huh. equity was the very first thing. So I, yep. I just thought, just as a quick review, again, I'm sure uh, most people know the difference, but I always think it's, it's great to review the difference between the words equity and equality, because yes. I think those terms yes. can get misused and interchanged, and they in no way mean the same thing. Equality means everyone gets the same thing. Okay? Correct. But education cannot be about equality. Education needs to be about equity. And equity um, means that uh, we want an education system that is fair and impartial and that is free from bias or favoritism. So basically, when we're talking about an equitable education system, we're talking about every single student, including those with special needs, to get exactly what they need. Okay, so there's no way we can talk about equality. There's no way every kid, every student is going to get the same thing. But we are talking about equity. And I think that here in the United States, this has been an ongoing struggle, right? Because we know, mm. like Mike mentioned, if you live in a certain part of Kansas City or Philadelphia or wherever you live, there are, or if you live in a rural area, right? There are certain school districts that don't have a very good reputation, if you will, okay? Whereas, so sometimes parents want to move. Oh, I want to move to this school district so my child can get the best of the best education. And in fact, here are the numbers, okay? Finland has the smallest performance variations among schools in reading, math, and science, okay? So from one school to the next, you can take any two schools in Finland and there is no more than a 6% variance between schools. So parents, like Mike said, don't have to worry about the neighborhood school. Oh, well, what's your school like? I mean, yeah, I'm not really worried yeah. about my school. Yeah. What's your school like? No, we don't have that in Finland. Now, Canada, okay? has an 18% variance between schools. The United States has a 23% uh, variance between schools. So I think it's just so important to recognize that here in the United States, 
it is not equitable. We do not have equity in education because, right, Mike, it matters where you live. It matters how much money your parents make, and it matters which school district you live in. So, so here in America, this is the first thing I thought about when I read that chapter on equity. Here in America, it's basically commonplace. A lot of people will, uh, you know, grow up in a small suburban town or whatever it may be. And just, I'm speaking in generalities here, of course. And then a lot of people go to a college. And then after college, a lot of younger people, lower 20s, upper 20s, move to cities and, and live in a city because it's, you know, fun and that you can <laughs> walk places and it's the, it's the cool place to be. But and it's almost commonplace that, you know, as you get older, up, up into your 30s and, those, and up in those age, once you start to have a family and once you start to have kids, people think to themselves, oh, I have kids now. I better get ready to move to the suburbs. Move I have to, to burbs, move right? to the burbs. So, so, yep. so there's, there's better schools there. My yep. kid needs to be able to go play and ride his bike and those sorts of things. And that is the total opposite of what's happening here. And think about that. That's common mindset here in America. I have a family now. We have to go to the burbs because the school is better. Here I am, here I am in Philadelphia. And right. that's, ba that's basically what it is. And it's, it's really, uh, it's, that's really not how schools are supposed to be. Uh, and and on, on page 61, he describes it, equity in education means that all students must have access to high quality education, regardless of where they live, who their parents might be, or yep. what school they attend. There you That's go. The and, first and, and thing I yep. wrote down in my notes, that exact, there, that exact it's, Yep, and it's the first thing I got underlined. Yep. So there yep. you go. And, and we, we have our, our member of the book club here from Finland, uh, and, she was, and she wrote a couple of sentences about what it's like there, and she said, even low-income areas, even rural areas, have fantastic schools. Uh, and that's something, you know, and, and just being an SLP and looking at job boards or right. looking at SLP Facebook groups, oh, there's five job openings in this rural school. There's, uh, you know, a, a mm -hmm. hiring fair for this inner right. city school, constant, right. constant turnover you know, we'll in Baltimore. Loans, Mike. If you'll yeah. work in the inner city school, we'll pay off your student loans because yep. nobody wants to work in the inner city schools isn't, or yep. in the rural schools. I feel like yep. those are the two areas in the United States where people avoid, right? Oh, I don't want to work in the inner city. Oh, I don't want to work in rural America, right? In rural Missouri, rural, whatever. So how in the world can we talk about equity in education when what so many, um, what's so much of what is happening is, oh, we're so dissatisfied with public school. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to start a charter school, right? We're going to open a private school. We're going to, we're going to send our kids to a non uh, public school because public education in the United States, I mean, let's get real, right? Yeah. So that's what yeah. we're up against here. Absolutely. Um, in Finland, Equity means, and this was on that same page you were just reading, having a socially fair, and here's my favorite word. Somebody talked about it already. They wrote it in the notes, inclusive education system, okay? So um, a high-performing school, I do want to talk about this. They actually define what they mean by high-performing school, and they talk about the United States. And our definition here of how we would talk about what a high-performing school is, is it is measured by dun, da, 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 standardized Testing, there you go. Right? So there you go. High stakes testing. But in Finland, guess what? They don't even do standardized testing. They do one matriculation test at age 15. It's a big standardized test that they give at age 15. But other than that, there's no standardized testing. Now, if for those of you who are worried about that, just know there are three 
levels of testing that they get to at the end of the chapter, um, three different types of testing that they do. It's not that they don't do any testing. It's that they don't do high stakes, um, standardized testing, comparing themselves to other students, other countries, right? It's, it's just making sure that students have actually acquired the knowledge. So in Finland, a high-performing school, are you ready for this, is one where all students perform beyond expectations. So what they said is, in Finland, the greater the equity, the better the education system. So two words that Finland bases everything on. You ready for this, guys? Quality plus equity equals. I love, I love formulas. I'm always giving a formula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like it's, um, my favorite one is an SLP is language plus experience equals learning. Like that's my favorite thing. I love coming up with, um, with, with, with formulas. So in Finland, if I had to give you a, a formula for Finnish education, quality plus equity equals high performing education system. And wow. uh, somebody just said less competitive. Well, you better believe it. There is no competition. And when we get to one of, the, one of the topics None. I want to talk about is teachers and collaborative teaching practices. So we're going to get there because what, what's, there's so many things that make Finland amazing. And I just wonder to myself sometimes, because I talk about it incessantly around the house now. And so my husband is like, like, do we need to go to Finland? I'm like, yeah, we actually need to go. Because I need to see for myself, is it really like this? Like, because it almost seems like a dream as I read this book. Do you ever think about that, Mike? You're reading it. And are you ever like, is this for real? Like, are they just, like, is this for real? It's, fa it's so different from everything I experienced as yeah. a student and now an adult being yeah. part of the educational system and being yeah. in, th in this career field. It's really, really fascinating. And what another thing that really blows me away is on, on page 61, he talks about Finnish educational reform has succeeded in building an equitable educational system in a relatively short, short. time. Extremely so, so, short. So that's, what, that's the number one thing that, I, that, I, that comes away with me is not only was it short, but it was also cheap. Yeah. These are the two things we have to think oh, about. Oh, and, and the lack, oh, you remember, Mike, when I messaged you, I think it was last week, and I was like, hey, Mike, what's the tax rate in Finland? Like, how much is yeah. it costing Finnish people? And you were like, let me look. Well, in this chapter, they actually go over it. Yeah. And I was, my husband is more like the economic brain. So I was talking to him about it. He's like, oh, well, they're doing it right because their GDP, whatever the heck, I mean, there's all these economic yep. terms they talk about in here. But mm -hmm. my husband was looking at it and he's like, fin Finland's got it figured out. I mean, so they're not paying out the wazoo, if you will. Um, and, and they talk over and over. I think I wrote down at least two or three different quotes that um, money is not, uh, no positive correlation between money and measured outcomes in education. Yes. Another yes. quote, money is rarely the solution to problems in education. And what does the United States do? Let's throw money at it. Here, NASA comes That's, in. Remember the first book we read? And NASA I, yep, went into yes. one of the poorest uh, yep. uh, school districts in Chicago yep. and said, here's a million dollars. We're going to create this science program. And guess what? It did nothing. Absolutely nothing. nothing. It didn't nothing. serve any purpose except to waste a million dollars. So, yep. um, Okay, so what were we talking about? Something about, oh, about different countries, quality plus equity. I just have to mention, Mike, because I don't know when is a good time to talk about this, but this is a book that I think I've mentioned in the past. Yes. One of my favorite books yes. I've ever read. It's The Smartest Kids in the World and How They Got That Way. And I read this, I'm going to say, five or six years ago. And I absolutely, so it talks about four different countries. Finland, Korea, Poland, and maybe the United, I can't remember what the fourth country is, but what was fascinating is you were talking about how rapidly Finland was able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, if you will, and turn the education system around. 
Poland did the exact same thing. I mean, Poland's story is phenomenal. They were one of the worst in the whole world. They weren't mediocre like Finland. Mm -hmm, I mean, they were mm -hmm. at the bottom of the barrel. And they mm -hmm. did the same thing that Finland did. They pulled themselves out of the trenches, if you will. But what's so amazing about this book, you guys, it's by the author Amanda Ripley. And I'm literally scrolling through Facebook today. And I about lost it. There's a documentary now called what is high school like around the world? A new film lets students investigate. And it is based on the book. It is a documentary that just came out August 19th. This is hot off the press. So now okay. I'm going to figure out how to watch it. Like if they said it's a streamable documentary, but it is all based on the book, the smartest kids in the world and how they got that way. So I really want to sit down sometime. Like we got to figure out how to watch this. Because let's, let's watch that documentary and then do a live about it. Don't and, you think? With the crew. Let's oh, do that. Oh my gosh. So I'm just blown away how every time I sit down, I feel like something either ties our first book to our second book that we're currently reading or to a book that we, you and I have talked about. I'm like, it's just amazing to me. And I guess what that does for me is it validates that we're not like on some random, you know, wild goose chase. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. Like when you, um, uh, so what's the documentary called? Someone just asked. Um, I don't know. It says documentary. What is high school like around the world? Okay. And it's based on the book, The Smartest Kids in the World by Amanda Ripley. So that's what the documentary is. And this is what the picture looks like as it's floating around Facebook. But I just printed off kind of the summary of the, of the, the documentary. And I just have to read one sentence to you. And then we'll move on to our current book. It says, the United States spends more than almost any other country per student, but that does not translate to results. And we know that. We know that our test scores are nowhere near competitive uh, when we look at other, other countries, especially OECD countries. See, I'm going to get all like fancy with my techno or with my uh, verbiage here. So anyways, um, that documentary, Mike, we got to figure out how to watch that. Exactly. So we're going to we're going to find out how to watch it, whether it's on Netflix, Hulu, wherever it is. Yeah, we're going to find out streamable. I Googled it and it just said streamable. And I'm like streamable where? And I oh, and we'll find I, it. We'll you'll find it because you're like brilliant. So I know we'll, you're find, we'll it. find it. We'll post the details. Yes. And and you guys tell me I want the book club to tell me what you think. Yes. We'll post it. We'll watch it. And yeah. then we'll do a live about it and we'll I all talk, so we'll excited. all talk about it and we'll share ideas. Because if you guys, if, if you guys think it's a good book. idea, let us know. Yeah, let us know because then we don't have to do this book as part of the book club because I've talked to Mike about it. I've mentioned it multiple times yeah. about how it's so fascinating because while Korea is one of the, the top countries, they also have the highest suicide rates among teenagers because their whole methodology is solely based on the cognitive hypothesis. And so they, you know, even the Korean um, uh, uh, people say, please don't model your education system after us. Like we're not mm -hmm. saying, we, yes, we have the smartest kids in the world, but let's not follow us. So that's why after reading this book, that is the whole reason I bought this book is because I'm like, Finland has got it going on. Right. And Communicate says, yes, love documentaries. So yeah, Carol, we gonna, Carol, we are definitely going to be about that. So okay, it looks so like, it looks like we have a watch party, a chat, love, chat watch I, party. It's, it's out. happening. You guys watch with us. Like, wouldn't it be amazing if we could somehow figure out how to actually watch it together? Like, I don't even, we could zoom it. Maybe we could zoom. I don't know. Let's, let's, let's do it. We're going to figure something out because <laughs> I just got to see. Okay. So um, the next thing I want to talk about, Mike, that they came up or that was really discussed multiple times in the chapter was this word prevention. And I was 
I have I'm open to that page right speaker. now. Oh, good. You've got it. I've been a professional speaker for 11 years, and I have always talked about how my concern is that here in the United States in special education, because you and I are SLP, so obviously mm -hmm. we're getting kids who are struggling, you know, learners, if you will. And here in the United States, it seems like we're extremely reactive. We wait until the child not is just struggling. We wait until the child is flat out failing. And by the time they're failing, right, um, the, what happens is now their growth mindset is shot because now they have this uh, this uh, learned helplessness, if you will. I can't. Oh, I'm yeah. Stupid, I'm dumb. I'm not good at math. I don't like math. I'm a terrible reader, right? Once you've heard that over and over and once you've gotten F after F, F, you know, and constantly failing. So then they eventually refer to, you know, special services, you know, for an evaluation. Oh, sorry, he's not two and a half standard deviations below the mean, doesn't qualify for special education. So then you get these kids, if you will, who fall through the cracks. This is a very common thing that we see in, as an early intervention provider, you know what kills me, Mike? is we have these babies, right? These infants and toddlers in our birth to three program. And then we go to transition into the school district under part B of IDEA. So they go from part C to part B of IDEA. And so many kids who are um, speech only, you know what I mean by that? They only oh, yeah. are getting speech and language therapy. They're not getting PTOT, anything else. Those kids often don't qualify for services under uh, part B of IDEA because they're not severe enough because their delays aren't severe enough. So these kids then end up going to kindergarten having had no early childhood. So my big thing is why in the world are we waiting for them to fail? Like in what world does that make sense? And so in Finland, guess what? Uh, they don't. Their big thing, and I have it capitalized in my notes here, early intervention plus prevention. They wait for nothing, okay? They make sure that every child is getting extra support early on. They're not gonna wait for you to be a struggling reader, right? They're gonna, here's one thing that you and I know as SLPs. Children who are late to talk, okay? So I work with toddlers, young preschoolers. Children who struggle with um, uh, oral language development, we have so much research, much of it coming out of Florida State University, uh, that shows that those kids with speech sound disorders who are late to talk, those kids often have um, reading disabilities, have dyslexia. There's no, there's no surprise there. We anticipate this. So here's my whole thing is I'm like, if, if you have a first grade teacher, don't you think it would behoove her to know which kids were late to talk, which kids, you know, received early intervention, which kids were in speech therapy for the first two years of their life? Like, why is this a secret? Why do we want to, you know, it's too bad in our country that having um, special needs has somehow become a stigma. Because in Finland, 66%, um, two-thirds of students by, what is it, by the time they're done with Paraschoola, which is the compulsory nine years of education, two-thirds of them have had special education because it's not a stigma there. It's nothing. They're like, does, wouldn't you agree, Mike, that even you and I need extra support sometimes? Isn't that All the education? time. Isn't that why oh, we yeah. call each other and say, I'm really struggling. Can you help me out? I mean, this is what we do. But in the United States, it's kind of frowned upon. If you have to ask for help, if you, you know, then, then, then there must be something wrong with you, right? Then you're somehow substandard or subpar. And I guess what I love about Finland and why, if it wasn't like the coldest country in the world, why I would probably <laughs> move there is because their whole value system is so, it's in such stark contrast to here in the United States, where here everything is about competition. Everything, everything is about competition. Everything. Whereas in Finland, their mindset is cooperation. I mean, they do not feed into this competitive nature. And I, 
I just, I'm kind of blown away by the Finnish, um, I guess, mentality or just general nature. And they, they value children and they value education more than I think I've ever thought possible by, by a nation. It's just really fascinating. Yeah, so this chapter really went into the whole topic of prevention versus repair. Yes. And, th and this whole repair is what's happening in America, where yep. we don't start providing services, we don't start providing care until the problem is snowballing and, and presenting yep. itself. Yep. So the, and, and this is never more evident than what with what is most important, and that is executive functioning. And the way, I, the way I always describe it to parents and to other educators and all the trainings I do, if you have what I describe as an internal, invisible disorder, you are going, what's going to happen is what you just described, you're going to fall through the cracks, Absolutely. period. If you're, Absolutely. In, if, if you're in class and you're not having behavioral problems, if you're in class and, and you're just kind of sitting there on your own, yep. you, could, you, could, you, know, you could have your Chromebook out, you could be looking at different websites, but it's okay, it's not a big deal. You know, you're not you, distracting. You, yeah, I, I, I can't tell you how many IEPs I've been in. Oh, you know, some kids are just CD students, some kids don't really care, not a big deal. See, they're not oh. focusing on potential. Whereas in Finland, what did they say? They actually said the words that we expect all students to perform beyond expectations. But what do we have in the United States? Well, we have C and D students. Mike, come on. Like, why would you expect Joey or Carlos or Ashley to be a good student? She's just a D student. And that's yeah. just what some students are. I, I, I cannot tell you how many IEPs I've, I've been in. And, and now in this world that we're in, where we're pushing the cognitive hypothesis daily, we're in a world full of screens and distractions and instant gratification and yeah. the absolute decline and disappearance of play, those three things for today's generation are creating significant issues with executive functions. And it's not just ADHD, 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 it's executive functioning developmental right. delays due yeah. to a lack of experience and due to a lack of relationships. That yeah. is what's happening to today's students and that's the opposite of what's happening in Finland. But my point yeah. is, my point is, is, is this is what's happening to today's kids. And, uh, and, and overall, uh, what's happening is these kids are having internal, invisible problems. And they're not able to take in information. They're not able to build resilience, build mental flexibility, build inhibitory control, build working memory. All these great they things have executive that, that dysfunction. executive dysfunction is happening. Sensory regulation is on sensory dysregulations on the rise. Executive dysfunction is on the rise. Anxiety is on the rise. Why? Because these are internal, invisible disorders that are focused on repair, not okay. prevention. That's right. Repair. Okay. So one person before this this uh, comment goes away, Mike, I just want to mention that somebody said, and I can't read the whole comment because I don't know, I'm on my phone, but it says, um, right now, they're telling me the most important thing for my 12 month old. Are we clear? This is a baby, a one year old. The most important thing is for the child to be compliant. Wow. What? I mean, what? Wow. What? 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 And I that's a doctor. That's a doctor. Compliance. Wow. That's bad. Stand that's that bad. Word. As a parent of an autistic child, Nobody better ever tell me that our primary goal is for Aaron to be compliant. I mean, what in the world are we even doing right now? That's a one. That's a one-year-old. That's a that's a one-year-old. That's a that's oh. that's really bad. So I don't know. I, I, I honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know this person. I'm, I'm going off of one sentence. 
I would find a new pediatrician because that's really bad. That's you're talking. Yeah. You're talking a one year old. It's it's uh, if a one year old uses their language to be non compliant. That's a really, really good you thing. You know what? I'd... Most kids' first word is no. There so you go. I would expect yeah. Isn't that a milestone? Isn't that, a right? mi isn't, isn't that an important language milestone to say no? You know what? It's a core word because what it does is it is actually a, a word that manipulates or controls the actions of other people. Yes. Which we, oh, I just don't even get me started on all that. Like, I, yeah. just, I just can't. That's, so, that's really bad. That, that is really bad. Okay, so in Finland, I wrote down, and I don't know, they start like on page 64, 65, 66, but I had four points of what Finland is doing right. So I didn't know if we could talk about this, Mike, because it kind of comes into this whole prevention idea. So the first thing, and they were kind of numbered on these pages, so I don't know. But anyways, number one, universal right to high quality are you ready for this early childhood education in this country? Um, you know, you can go to like ECSE, which is early childhood special education, if you qualify, right? So yeah, you can go to free preschool at the school district's early childhood center if you're two standard deviations below the mean in one or more areas, right? Or if you're one and a half standard deviations below the mean on a standardized test in two areas. But we don't have universal early childhood, right, for our kids. Now let's be clear: in Finland, early childhood lasts till age seven. I'm just saying here, I mean, what, what we've done in this country, the whole idea of grade inflation, the fact that we're doing the second grade curriculum in kindergarten and the first grade curriculum in the four-year-old pre-K classroom and all the way down the line so that we're doing the four-year-old curriculum with two-year-olds in daycare. I mean, that is one of the big things that is happening. But what I love about Finland is there is, you have a right, it's not a privilege, right? You have a right to a high quality early childhood education. So that is when they want to catch struggling learners they're not they're going to look at those executive function skills and if you don't follow me well if you do follow me on social media um i've been doing uh, a series of posts on executive function development in toddlers and preschoolers and i have learned all of this because of my very good friend mike who has really helped me to understand that we've been missing kind of the big picture right that in order to address uh, language development you have to address executive function and i've been talking about all of these things but sort of talking around the topic, never using the term executive function. And so for me, I have grown so much professionally since meeting uh, Mike. I can't even tell you. So Mike, you got to see my post tomorrow because you're going to be over the moon. Okay. Cause it's about inhibitory control. And yep. so yep. Uh, I give very specific strategies and activities that parents can implement, like, you know, in the bathtub, right it, at home, like not like go get therapy for it, but, yep. but it's really helped me to understand that we need to be, focusing on parenting, which is why parent coaching is really my, my big thing. Okay. I, I really think that we have to get to parents and, uh, and educate them. Somebody commented on one of my executive function posts this week, and you'll love this, Mike, and I think I referred him to you. Um, but they said, um, what do you do when the parent has weak executive functioning? I got I'm that same message. Yep. Yeah. And I'm uh -huh. trying to talk to the parent about the child's EF skills and yet the parent themselves. And I think that's a huge issue. I think that we haven't been talking about executive function. So, I mean, you have, but like not the general SLP world, not the general early childhood world. Um, and so I am really on board, Mike. I just want to tell you that you really like opened this whole new world to me and I just can't stop researching executive function in early child development. And um, from age three to five, this is what blows my mind the most. I brought this up last week. I think from age three to five is the largest, most rapid growth in executive function skills. So fascinating. childhood, I mean, it's just unbelievable. There's another 
um, decent growth in adolescence, you know, in the and, teen years. And puberty, the, yep. Mm -hmm. The primary jump is from three to five. And I mean, when you look at the graph, it's not like this. It's like this from three to five. And then it kind of evens out. And then there's a little burst after that. So I am of the mindset that if we really want to affect change in education, it all, and I mean, 100% of it starts with early childhood. It has to start there. And I, I love how you're using a lot of the Harvard Center. I love how you're using a lot of their stuff. They are on the absolute forefront of all of this executive functioning research. And, you know, the number one question I get is, how can I build this at home? How can I build this at home? What can I do? What can I do? And, you know, we always talk about these mindsets we get stuck in. Before we were talking about in America, it's, oh, I just had a kid. I'm going to have to move to the suburbs. Right. And I, another thing that parents are starting to think is, oh, my kid needs to build these skills. What book should I make them read? What, yeah. work, what worksheets should I have them do? Uh, wh whatever. And I, I'm constantly telling them, if you want your child to build executive functions, you have to make sure they are having varied experiences, experiences. on a daily basis. That's the Mind number one thing. Terms. And sometimes, and sometimes I tell I give parents that answer, and I feel like they're almost a little disappointed. Like it's not a more clear cut answer. And I'm right. like, no, that that's that's literally it. The only way to build executive functions is to increase the amount of relationships your child has and to increase the amount of experiences your Very, child has. Varied experiences. Experiences. Exactly. If you follow me on social media, Mike, I know you saw my post about my son going to the Royals game. My son is autistic. Loved it, really loved it. He really would prefer to not have varied experiences. He doesn't like, he doesn't do new. That's how I've always described my son. And since meeting Mike and learning from his brilliance, I have really started like intentionally focusing on increasing his varied experiences. And it's just fascinating. I mean, it just, it's so amazing. So I am super excited and very grateful uh, for everything that you've taught me, Mike, because- Hey, hey, those posts, uh, I, I have seen those posts, the, the posts that you've been making. I've seen those shared more than any other post I've ever seen. And yeah, they, they're, crazy. they're beautiful. And, and when, like I specialize in you know middle school, high school, college age students. Right. And I'm learning about executive function with the toddlers and the little ones. And you have a baby. And, and, so and there you go. Isn't yep. it perfect for you? Like, because again, it's all about perspective, isn't it? Like I work with the babies, you work with the older kids. So what, what I love about our partnership is yeah. we continue to learn from each other because um, uh, we work with different age children. And so we're dealing with nervous systems who are at a different point in their development. So EFs, executive functions, that's where it's all at, you guys. I'm just telling you, if you're a parent, if you're an SLP, if you're an OT, a PT, a doctor, I don't, a caregiver, I, whatever you are, promise me you will just continue to Google executive functions, that you'll follow Mike, that you'll follow Tara Sumter, that you'll really start. I mean, I, I now follow hashtag executive functioning, and oh, yeah. so I'm getting all the it's feeding my inbox now. Do you know what I mean? Now I'm getting, cause I used to only follow like speech therapy. You know what I mean? And I'm like, well, I work with toddlers. I really don't need to know how to fix R. You know what I mean? Like that's just not really my thing. So executive function is my new thing, if you will. So, um, 
Okay, Mike, <laughs> let's go back to this. So um, the universal right to high quality early childhood education, inclusive of children with special education needs. So on page 65, it says special education in Finland is available. Are you guys ready for this? For all students to address any difficulties related to learning. So there isn't a special education department. They do have special education teachers, but are you guys ready for this? They actually co-teach with the regular teachers. They don't have special education classrooms per se, but they're available and every teacher has like, teaching assistance in the classroom because if you have an autistic child and a child with down syndrome and you know whatever you're going to need extra support so you have extra staff in your classroom but those children are fully mainstreamed if that's the right term they're fully it's the inclusion is just not even a question like of course they're now like my son attends our local high school one of three in our suburb of kansas city and the special education rooms are in one hallway of this huge high school so my son is not I mean I know we say he's mainstreamed he's not mainstreamed I mean he is yeah. in a hallway and so you know he doesn't have a lot of stress because at least he doesn't have to travel this huge building and all that but he doesn't know neurotypical children he doesn't hang out with neurotypical children and so um it is not mainstreamed regardless of of how they how they define it okay in the United States a student has to meet criteria to qualify for special education, right? So they have to qualify under speech and language, or they have to qualify under intellectual disability, or have a behavioral, you know, or an emotional disturbance, right? So in the United States, um, in order to get an IEP, in order to be in special education, you have to be pretty severely affected. Whereas in Finland, Externally. every child is eligible for special education. Every child, it is assumed that every child um, is uh, at some point or another going to need a little bit of extra assistance. And could you guys love that anymore? I mean, the fact that it's for everybody. It, it, right here on page 65, most important special education in Finland is for all students based on the assumption that at some points in our lives, all of us need support and help to move forward. Yeah. So, and by far, by far, the number one thing that has stood out to me and I've connected with the most about the Finnish lessons and education in Finland is the mandatory two hours a week or whatever it was oh. of counseling. That is that right there, that right there, period, end yep. of story. That is something that could easily tomorrow be to implemented. They don't call it high school, they call it upper secondary education. Mm -hmm. So in Finland, Paraschoola is from age seven to 16. Uh, compulsory education ends at 16. Uh, the majority of students go on to upper secondary education, which then once you get there, you have to have two hours per week of, and it's called um, guidance and um, like uh, guidance to find a job. Yeah. It's, yeah. There's two terms for it, but it's, um, it, it's like basically like um, it's, it helps you with your mental health. Oh, here it is. It's systematic counseling and career guidance. Counseling. And so it's counseling and guidance. Yeah. A week. Are you guys kidding me? Two hours a week that every yes. student from age 17 to 19 when they graduate is, or 18, whatever it is, 16 to, to 18 is, is, um, is mandatory for it. So, so we have universal right to early childhood inclusion of all children, including those with special needs. Finland is about prevention. That is one of their most important strategies. They don't wait till there's a problem. Um, special education in Finland is defined under the title. Are you ready for this? They don't call it special education. I couldn't love this more. Learning and schooling support. That's what it's called. Okay. So what jeopardizes a school's efforts to enhance equity? 
so page 66, what jeopardizes this? This is everything the United States is doing, and these are the things that jeopardize equity. Number one, standardized testing that uh, compares students to statistical averages. Instead of looking at their baseline and saying, oh, well, he was here, and look, now he's here. I know where it's nowhere near where, where near Joey in the United States is, but I mean, look at the gains that he's made. No, they don't care about, right? So in the United States, we only look at statistical gains on standardized testing. Competition that leaves weaker students behind. Is that not what the United States is about? Mm -hmm. Oh, he's going to bring our test scores down. Is there any mm -hmm. way we can get him out of the testing for the, you know, the Iowa test of basic skills or whatever our standards are? Um, a certain percentage of special education students have to still take, my, my son is one who has to take standardized testing. And I always feel guilty. I'm like, oh, he's the one who brings your average down. Because mm, we're in like a really high quality school in Missouri, school district, where we get like some of the top ACT scores. And I'm like, yeah, sorry, my kid's the one bring, like, I actually feel guilt over this, that my son has to, um, oh, somebody asked, it was called learning and schooling support. Whoever asked what that was, that's what it's called in Finland learning and schooling support. It's not called special education. And then the other thing that jeopardizes schools effort to enhance equity, merit based pay for teachers. You want to screw up an education system, blame the teachers for everything. Let's pay you peanuts and then blame yep. you until you don't get a raise because yep. your students who um, are from disadvantaged backgrounds who come to you, they're not, they're hungry. They, you know, are struggling on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but we're going to blame you, the teacher, because you are the only agent of change here. We're not going to look at anything else. So those are the three things that I think um, the United States is going to have to really figure out if we are ever going to make a run and start offering students high quality uh, education in this country. So the biggest thing that you discussed, the biggest thing that is the most near and dear to my heart, that is literally part of my daily life now, is this, you, you discussed, in America, you have to be deemed eligible for right. services and eligible right. for that. And, and how do we determine that? We determine it by, by standardized testing. Uh, you know, the school chooses, oh, I'm going to do the self. I'm going to do right. the GFTA. The school just chooses from a, a, a giant wide array of tests. Right. And it's all about the standard deviation, the standard score. And, oh, you were, you didn't score. You this, missed it by two points. This wasn't Sorry. deemed. And, and, I, for yep. and I talked about before kids with internal invisible, invisible. disorders. Yeah. Because here's the biggest thing. The vast majority of kids with executive function delays have an above average IQ. And so, they, so they don't so, qualify for anything. So they don't qualify for deemed, anything. Mike, they're deemed behavior problems. Yes. They're deemed they're intentionally acting out just to manipulate me, right? No. So the teachers are having to make it about them because they're like, he's a bad kid. He's a bad student. He won't focus. He won't. I have a friend. Do you want to hear a horror story? I mean, I could tell you. A whole, I won't tell you the whole <laughs> horror story because it's really bad. But he is diagnosed Autistic. Okay, absolutely. And I see some of that. I do. But he very much has executive dysfunction. And the more I learn about it, the more I keep saying to my friend, Oh, my God, he needs Mike. He needs like, he needs somebody <laughs> to help him with his EFs. Because I've known this child for and for I was his SLP when he was two, he's 16. So I've known him for 14 years. So it's not like he's a mystery to me. Like, I'm like, Oh, my gosh, he has EF issues. But when he was in elementary school, my friend pulled him and put him in a private school and is paying out the wazoo for this private school because his teacher 
would berate him and make fun of him in the hallway and say, you walk like a turtle. Come on, turtle boy. Because he would get distracted. And so he was always at the end of the line. And he wasn't called. She called him a turtle. And everything she did, she referred to him as a turtle. Turtle boy. Come on, turtle boy. I just, I can't. So you understand what that did to his self-esteem. He's like, the teacher makes fun of me, mom. Right. So this is, this is not okay. We can't have this. If teachers, if therapists, if parents don't understand executive dysfunction, then they assume that it's behavioral. Right, Mike? Is that right? They assume it is. They're doing it intentionally. So the, big, the biggest thing is, you know, the vast majority of kids with executive function delays are not deemed behavior problems and these sorts of things. They're deemed lazy, lazy. and lazy. disinterested. That's the biggest thing. So I go to these IEP meetings and say, oh, your kid's just not a math guy. He's just not a writing guy. He's just not an English guy. You know, he'll probably, he'll probably become a computer programmer or do something with video games or whatever. And they, all these problems are just swept under the rug because right. it's that internal invisible disorder. And right. then down the line, this kid gets, gets accepted to a college because they have a high, a high IQ and then they're dropping out. So we're going back to what we learned in this book about how we lead the world. What is our dropout rate? And yeah, exactly. That's, and that's exactly what it is because they did not get the services when their brains were most plastic and right. during, the, during the great periods of executive function development. And it, it, you know, it, it's no coincidence that executive function acquisition is in correlation with language acquisition. Both so of they, these things. Don't yeah. you think, Mike, then speech language pathologists, when they're at university, when they are in grad school, that they should be taking a class on executive function? I mean, wouldn't that just make sense? This is, this is my number one goal in this career at all. So in grad school, we learn about expressive, receptive, social, written, reading language. But never we, in we need, language. There you go. So that's, that is the number one, that is my goal, is that internal language is taught at the graduate level exactly the same as expressive and receptive. Because if we don't start focusing on internal language, how kids visualize to themselves and how kids talk to themselves, then there's no point. There's no yeah. point because we're, all we're focusing on is just in and out language, but how to organize the disorganized mind. And we, oh. live, in a, we live in a world where the vast that's majority- That's the name of the book you need to write, Organizing the Disorganized Mind. That was there, brilliant, Mike. Let's do it. And that's, and that's, the, that's the number one thing. And we live in a world today where, I'm sorry, the vast majority of kids have disorganized minds, period. Whether they're in AP classes, honors classes, whatever it may be, the vast majority of kids, because of their lack of experiences, because of having to sit in virtual yes. school for an entire year, and all of these insane problems, because of the lack of play, their mind is disorganized. Why? Because they never had an opportunity to practice manual play to internal play. And they're not having these varied experiences and learning resilience and learning how to do these things. So I don't care what kind of grades your kid is getting. No, it's not I, about all, grades. All these different things. But when you're noticing that there's consistent issues with the ability to self-regulate, self-motivate, self-evaluate, all of these things. Say and, those and three things again, Mike. Those are my favorite words you ever say. Say them again. Self-regulate, self-motivate towards non-preferred tasks and self-evaluate and the ability to learn from past experiences and apply it to the present. If you're seeing that your son or daughter has an incredibly small comfort zone and they do whatever they can to stay in that comfort zone and to avoid all other tasks and to stay in their own little bubble, that is an executive functioning delay, period. And you're never gonna see that on an IEP. 
oh, this kid and got- And they'll never show up on standardized testing. And, and it'll right? never show up. And that's the thing, is there will never, ever in the history of the earth, ever be a standardized test that measures executive functioning, period. We have the Goldman Fristo that does articulation. We have self or expressive receptive. We have literacy tests. We have tests for everything. But there will never in the world be a test that measures executive functioning ever. And that's why nobody wants to address it. Because let's be clear, in education and in the therapy world, we want things that are measurable and observable. Because we need to have data. Because nobody um, is concerned about professional um, skills. You know what I mean? Your professional opinion is irrelevant, Mike. I know you have a master's degree, but if you can't show it to me on a piece of paper, then I, you didn't do anything to help my child, right? So we don't have that professional courtesy, if you will. So we mm -hmm. have, it has to be measurable and observable. Well, the problem is EFs are not measurable and observable, right? When you talk about, I mean, you could try to make time on task, if you will, measurable, but if it's forced, is it really, if you're using a timer? Time on you know, task is yeah, completely meaningless. Yeah. The yeah. only so way to is measure book. is prompt dependence. Exactly. So somebody had mentioned this book. I just want to tell you, um, this is by Tara Sumter. She's another huge name in the EF world, The Seeds of Learning. And this just came out this year. So this is a very easy read. I mean, I love you can see how highlighted it is. But I just, I love to, and I know you guys, you probably think I'm crazy because I'm always whipping books. Mike, that was the first thing he noticed about me is every time we would, we would talk, always. I'd be like, oh, let me grab this book. Let me <laughs> yep. I got my bookshelf right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yep. um, anyways, The Seeds of Learning by Tara Sumter is, is, yep. is, is exactly what you're talking about. But I just get so concerned because there are so many kids who have been deemed behavior problems, right? Oh, he's a behavior problem in school. And I'm like, really, are we dealing with this as though this was a behavior problem? Is this was this was something intentional that he's doing? Or is this an internal, invisible you know, disorder that uh, nobody um, is recognizing. Okay, so the seeds of learning, somebody asked about the name of that book. So that's what that is. So the next thing I wanted to talk about, Mike, um, grade retention, they do a really oh good goodness. job in this book on page 82. So I had to stop taking notes, my hand got tired. So I just started writing page numbers. But page 82 um, is where they talk about the cost of grade repetition. Now, I would love for you guys to comment if you will, if holding kids back is common in your school, in your school district, if, you know, I'm just curious how common that is. Grade retention is an absolute joke. There is, is no, joke. there is no data. There is nothing to back it up. It is yep. an absolute joke. And what a surprise. Finland got it and Finland did Finland something about it. Finland doesn't do it. Okay. And listen to this. Here's the great, greatest thing. I just have to read you. The impact of being sent back to the same grade with younger students is demoralizing and rarely paves the way for the expected academic improvements among students repeating a grade. After all, here's the brilliance. Are you ready for this? Repeating an entire grade is an inefficient way to promote learning because it doesn't focus on the specific parts of the curriculum in which a student needs targeted help. Like if you if you failed third grade because you were struggling with reading and spelling and they make you retake third grade, then that means you're bored stiff in math and social studies and science, right? Oh my. And yeah, now somebody said now more and more are held back because of COVID. Sure. On, so let's on, go yeah. ahead oh, yeah. and take a national pandemic and, and oh, say yeah. that's a reason to hold kids back. So oh, let's yeah. be clear that it is so, so rare in Finland for them to hold a child back. They call it an educational stigma that has a dramatic negative impact on students' self-esteem and their motivation and efforts to learn. And I don't know how you could say it any in any fewer words than that. I mean, it is absolutely a huge issue. So Finland clearly recognizes 
the differences in the unique individual and the unique child. So they said they say that it does not focus on those specific parts of the curriculum in which the student needed targeted help. So repeating right. a grade is not going to help a student. But because these kids get two hours of counseling and they do have individual learning plans, these ILPs there, yeah. this counselor can work with the student. And guess what? If they're repeating a grade, it's most likely they need executive functioning help. There's an, right. issue, with, there's an issue with working memory. There's an issue with mental flexibility. There's an issue with self-regulation, whatever it may be. But clearly, you know, once again, the term executive functioning is not really used here. It's not. But, but on and on and on, they're continually talking about non-academic skills and where these kids need help if mike if you and i really wanted to affect change we need to sit down with every one of these authors of every sure one of the books that we've read and we need to say we need to talk about efs everything you're talking about is spot on but you're not using the terminology so what happens is we get all these different terms non-academic skills character skills you know character traits like all these different terms but you and i know mike that what we're talking about is the ability to learn how to learn in early childhood that's what this yep. is about learning how to learn look at my post from two days ago look at my post from this morning look at my post tomorrow morning because they're all about strategies to help develop executive function skills in toddlers and preschoolers okay that is what so one of the most important things if you want to focus on the ability to delay gratification to um, practice inhibition which inhibition is the ability to say i would like to slap that lady in the face because she's rude right or whatever but i'm not going to because i have the ability to inhibit right i have the ability to say what would the consequences of that be road rage is a problem with uh -huh. inhibitory control okay so if you want your child your very young child to learn inhibitory control please do not give them your screen every time they get upset every time they whine and fuss at the grocery store that is not a time to give them your phone that is a time nope. to have a conversation and hand them objects to put in the cart and talk and let them hold the grocery list and I don't know what you do to entertain your kids when you're out in public, but you shouldn't be giving them your phone every other second to keep them quiet. The shut up toy, which is what I refer to it as, as a speech language pathologist, we know that it is creating huge issues with relationship-based learning, but also with expressive language development. We have a great study out of Canada that shows for every 30 minute increase in um, handheld screen time, there's a 49% increase in uh, expressive language delay. So you guys, mm. we have the research. The research mm. is out there and we have it in in spades and so we are going to have to figure out screen time mindfulness we're going to figure out how to entertain children without sticking a screen in front of their face um your child should be able to ride from home to the grocery store without being entertained by a screen and if not i promise you you are creating issues with inhibitory control which is one of the areas of executive function so um there is so much that we could be doing but again parents and society in general is swayed by the cognitive hypothesis that says the most important thing for your child to be is smart. But that's the most important thing. So if my child who is 28 months old can label his letters, numbers, shapes, and colors, then he is smart. So that means I'm doing a good job. But what we are more concerned with, what Mike and I are really talking about here, and what so many of these authors are talking about, but they don't actually say the words, is we are looking at the development of the prefrontal cortex. And this morning in my post, I talked about 
um, when we talk about working memory, which is one of the areas of uh, executive function, I love the idea because I'm such a visual thinker, like I'm a visual learner. So when I just hear words, I always have to create a visual image of it. And what I think of, of working memory is like it's a shelf. So if you think mm -hmm. of it as a shelf in your prefrontal cortex and you're going to put your list of things you need at the grocery store and you're going to put, you know, that phone number that you need to remember to call somebody, whatever it is you need to remember, you're going to put it on your shelf. Well, we have to teach that and we have to provide opportunities for working memory to develop in early childhood. So working memory, the way I describe it, working memory is basically like the RAM of the computer of your brain. It is, the, it is the hard drive of your brain where all of the visuals, the experiences, the senses of your past experiences go into nonverbal working memory and all of the language-based learning goes into verbal working memory. And working memory is not just one of the executive functionings. Right. It is executive, executive functioning. Function. So working memory is it, period. So yes, there's inhibitory control where you have to be able to stop and then call on your working memory. Right. But working memory, nonverbal and verbal working memory, the two skills that comprise internal language, that's executive functioning, period. So being able to stop, being able to visualize to yourself, and being able to talk to yourself, without that, there's no mental flexibility. Without that, there's no time management. Without that, there's no organization. Any of those things. So working memory is a synonym for executive functioning, period. Love it. Love there it. you have it. It's fascinating. It just, I mean, it, it really is. It just blows my mind. Okay, so we've talked about prevention. So grade retention is not a thing in Finland, just so you know. I mean, if it is, it's an extremely rare thing. But instead, they provide supports in the moment. They don't want children to fail, and they don't allow children to fail. And I just think that is such a proactive way of looking at education. Hey, Mike, I want to talk about homework here. And homework page, um, oh, like around 89. Let me see, where do I have my tab? So this, so this whole chapter, I talked about how the chapter is less is more. And I was reading halfway through and I was like, why is it called less is right. more? And then you learn, teach less, learn, learn more. more. There's yep. one, then test less, learn more. Yeah. Uh, and then you have another one here. Yeah, I think those are the main ones. But just, just th that's... That right there speaks volumes. Yep. Teach less, learn more, test less, learn more. There you Many have it. students in primary and lower secondary schools have the lightest load of homework of all. The Wall Street Journal reported that Finnish students rarely got more than a half hour of homework per day. Okay. Pull out um, that homework book you got. Pull out that homework book. That homework oh, paradox. Yeah, Pull it out. Pull it I out. I really want to do this as a book study, Mike, just because <laughs> I am such a fan of Alfie Cohn. Where is it? Um, it's such an amazing book. Say something brilliant, Michael. I look for this book. Okay. So we have it right here. Uh, teachers in Finnish schools have many other responsibilities besides teaching. So they're, they're constantly assessing achievement, overall progress, preparing. It's not just about just lecture, listen, lecture, right. listen, lecture, listen. There is much more project-based learning. Yep. And there's much more uh, honus on the children. The yeah. children themselves make their schedules. Oh, they choose their cho they choose their classes, and that that allows for more time for the students to build relationships with their teachers. Which right. and if you look back at your educational career, and someone says, "Who was your favorite teacher?" It's not going to be the one that you got the best grades in, or the right. one. It's going to be the teacher that you had the deepest relationship with. with. And yep. every single person in this thing right now can agree with that. 
Yep. So this is the book that someday I would love to do. Um, it's by Alfie Cohn, who's kind of like the rebel in the education world, but it's called The Homework Myth um, and Why Our Kids Get Too Much of a Bad Thing. So this is a phenomenal book if you really want to read something that'll, that'll uh, test everything you thought you knew about education. Here's a great term on page 88, Mike. Are you ready for this? Um, the idea of minimally invasive education. How cool is that? I could not love that term more. So in Finland, not only do students do less homework, okay, but teachers teach less. So I want to talk, if you are a teacher, my daughter is just started, today was her first day of 17th grade. Um, she is getting her <laughs> master's. So it was her first day, her last first day of school. This is her first day of her master's program. So she is in a five-year master of education program um, at Truman State here in Missouri. So this, Love it. Um, so it's a big deal to me because I mean, she's going to be a teacher. She wants to teach early, or she wants to teach um, early elementary. K3 is kind of her, her passion where she wants to be. Um, so she started her master's program today. But I just love this so much because um, on average, Finnish teachers annually teach about 590 hours um, and 670 hours. So 590 is, you know, the lower elementary primary school, if you will, 670, let's see. In lower secondary, it's 590. Primary school is 670. Okay, so um, that is 800 lessons of 45 minutes each. This score corresponds to four lessons daily. According to the OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, in the United States, the average annual total teaching time is 1,131 hours, okay, um, which equals six or more daily lessons of 50 minutes each. So, I mean, it just blows my mind. Teachers in the United States are teaching twice as much as, fin as Finland Finnish teachers, and yet Finnish students are better prepared for success in life than American students. Wow. What Look at is that. going on? Finnish teachers reported they teach an average of 20.6 hours per week. In Alberta, Canada, they teach 26.4 hours per week. In Australia, um, it's 18.6. In the United States, it's 26.8 hours per week. In and Singapore, why is there teacher burnout? Why yeah, is there a turnover and why is right. there burnout? That's right. And why is there high anxiety in students? Singapore because because that, that's not only burnout for the for the teachers. Oh. Think about that. That's also more hours that kids are sitting there taking notes and listening yep. quietly. Yep. yep. The, which is terrible. Like the listen and what do lecture, you call it? lecture, listen lecture listen approach right which is not mm -hmm. what they do in finland they do not use that approach in singapore which is another amazing country uh, my daughters we homeschooled them for the majority of their um, elementary school years and we did singapore math and i will just tell you singapore math is phenomenal and what we found our daughters were great students in elementary school they were just bored stiff um, they couldn't move at a pace that stimulated them enough so we decided to homeschool them and when they took the singapore math like it's kind of like a placement test to decide where you're at. They were a year and a half behind because the way Singapore, oh, it's amazing. My daughters are so good at math because we did Singapore math. But in Singapore, teachers teach an average of 17.1 hours. I mean, that's just, that's crazy, you guys. So um, it's, it's fascinating to think that teachers are teaching less. And on page 90, there's this amazing graph that if you look at it, and I wrote the word wow right next to it because it shows um, uh the number of teaching hours per year and the United States is dead last. The United States teaches far more 
no wonder, like Mike said, teacher burnout. I mean, why do teachers want to retire the second that they have their 25 years in or whatever? They're like, I'm out of here. I'm done. Get me out. I will go work at Walmart as a greeter before I yeah. continue to teach. And so I think we better start looking at, um, and wait till we get to the next chapter, because the next chapter is going to blow your mind <laughs> when we talk about teacher pay. Okay. Yes. And um, it's going to, it's going to be amazing. So um, teachers teach less kids don't do homework. Kids actually have um, a time after school to be kids, right. To do the things that um, they enjoy that builds executive function skills and they're not sitting there doing busy work. So. And that. that's exactly where the author went. Cause I know that's where many parents' minds goes. If there's no homework, what are kids going to do after what school? Are, what are they going to do? Yep. But here's the thing. Uh, Finnish sports associations are huge. There's non-governmental groups that require, uh, that contribute significantly to social and personal development of young Finns. So there are, there are great non-screen-based, non-tech-based experiences for these children. Yep. And how many, and, and this, is what I, this is what I'm constantly dealing with, is I work with high schoolers, I work with college-age students, school's over, they go home, and they're instantly on YouTube, they're instantly on screens, yep. they're instantly playing video games for hours and hours and hours, not even doing the homework that's assigned to them. And that, right. snow, that snowballs into a large problem. But there are, parents are not utilizing and schools and, and uh, public schools and, and private schools, whatever it may be, are, and communities are not uh, organizing and spreading the word and, about yep. these after school activities. Yeah. I, I think one of the most important things that we have forgotten here in the United States is that boredom is one of the most critical components of childhood. If your child doesn't tell you they're bored on a weekly basis, they're overscheduled. One of the go. things that we believe in in this country, in the United States, is that, oh, in order to be considered a good parent, you must raise productively scheduled children. I am going to argue till I take my last breath that that is incorrect. That if you are a good parent, you will ensure boredom in your child. Because boredom is when children start using the right side of their brain. They start being creative and imaginative. When I was a kid, now Mike, you and I, there's quite a few years difference in our age and we don't need to tell the listeners how significant that difference is. But when I was a kid, play was more about who you were with. I didn't grow up with a lot of toys. I don't remember. I mean, I certainly didn't have a special toy room that was filled. My house never looked like Toys R Us exploded. The only time I got a gift was at my birthday and at Christmas, and I didn't get 500 of them. I mean, I got two or three, and I was grateful for every one of them. But when I was a kid, when I said, I'm going to go outside and play with my friends, I need everybody to understand that for me, play was social. Play was about who I was with. Um, play was uh, uh, about uh, uh, building relationships. Today, when you ask parents about play, they're like, oh, I bought this toy. I bought this educational toy. I downloaded this educational app. Oh, look what I bought in this VTech toy to make him smarter, faster. So we have lost our understanding in this country of what play is because we think it's something where kids should be entertained or instructed. And that is not play. Um, so yeah, we have a lot of, of things we need to undo. Somebody just mentioned a book that of course I have to whip out now. Um, <laughs> here we go. If you haven't read The Hurried Child, this yes. will 
blow your mind. Because what happens when we raise children in the unnatural absence of true play is, and we start forcing the cognitive hypothesis, which is again, a term I didn't use until we read our first book, but it's such a beautiful, beautiful term. Um, when we force the cognitive hypothesis, what we are creating is a generation of highly anxious children who feel like they're not good enough. They have self-esteem issues. They are depressed in early childhood. I mean, what, what, are, we, what are we doing? And that's a, that's the number one thing that like this book does a great job with all these charts and describing mm -hmm. exactly what Finland is doing compared to the rest of the world. But we're looking at Finland that has these two hours a week of counseling, uh, student leadership, uh, uh, student ownership, where they're able to, uh, you know, have more pick ownership, their pick their classes, those sorts of things, more project based learning, no homework teach less, these sorts of things. But the number one stark difference is, yes, I described before that we are now in a second pandemic now of executive functioning and how it's a major, major issue. But one of the biggest things is anxiety, is kids, oh. kids are anxious. Kids who are yep. popular, kids who have good grades, kids yep, are anxious. anxious. And I, I, had, I put up a post today about anxiety. And yep. it's, it's and really, it's, it's really something that we, and it's another one of these internal invisible disorders. Some kids externalize their anxiety. Yes. But along with executive dysfunction comes anxiety because it is, it's an inability to reimage the past and it's an inability to learn from past experiences and apply it to the present. And you're getting negative, uh, negative redirections constantly and you're and you're constantly going through the same negative experience over and over and over again yep. and that's the number one difference kids in finland are not anxious in fact when they're done with school they choose to do more school yeah it's so amazing they only have to have what is it like 78 or something hours mm -hmm. or, or whatever units whatever it is but they said most students graduate with 90 like they just they love learning because learning is what it should be well, again, one of my favorite sayings, as long as there's joy in learning, children will always love to learn. But when we pluck the joy out of learning and make it about teaching to the test, about making it all about you have to score well, you have to get a high grade, then all of a sudden learning is no longer, first of all, it's not fun, but second of all, it's not relevant. And so if we can find a way not just to make learning filled with joy, but to make learning relevant, I, I think we would, we would, we would, uh, you know, uh, take care of a lot of our obstacles, if you will. Somebody was asking, this is another one of my favorite books, Last Child in the Woods, was asking for a list of my favorite books. Just go to my Amazon store. I mean, I have a whole section called reference books in my Amazon store and um, go to my website, carrieebertseminars.com. And at the very top, it says, do you want to visit Carrie's Amazon store? I don't know. It says something <laughs> done like that. Just click on that and it'll take you to my Amazon store. Um, I am a book fanatic, if you can't tell. And I have as many reference books as I do children's books because I am convinced that we can solve all of our major issues by um, reading. Uh, if we can use literacy, if we can use what, what other people, because everybody specializes. Like Mike's specialty is executive function. And I've already told you how much I've learned from him. My area of specialty as an SLP is apraxia. So, you know, for SLPs who don't know a lot about apraxia, that's, you know, my specialty. So what I love so much is being able to collaborate, which is what Finland is all about. And we didn't really even get into that. But when we get into the next chapter on teaching, I think collaboration is going to come out. Schools do not compete against each other. Schools and teachers work together to make sure that uh, they have equity in education. And 
that's what Mike and I are trying to do is say, look, we're not competing on social media for followers or whatever it is. We are trying to work together to um, better our own skills and knowledge, but also to help those of you who, I mean, if you're here tonight, if you're listening on a podcast at a later time or rewatching this, um, clearly you're interested in bettering yourself and, you know, increasing your knowledge and skills. And so we appreciate you very much. It, that's exactly what this is all about. And just like you just said, you know, what Finland has done is they've made education fun, engaging, energetic, and relatable. Relevant. And relevant, yeah. relevant, and relatable. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. You know, we're not, you know, this is an open book club. We yep. love it. We want as many members as possible. We're sharing information. We love that you guys spend your Monday nights with us and you yep. guys spend so much time uh, on Spotify, so much time on podcasts. We yep. love it. Thank you guys for doing that. Uh, and, and, and that's the number one thing. And, and, and what's relatable education, executive functioning education. Yep. That's right. Somebody just asked what book should I read for my 12 year old who has executive dysfunction? I mean, the one, I mean, Mike can probably give you some, but this one by Tara Sumter, the seeds of learning is just a very nice overview of what we need to focus on. So if you're struggling, if you have an adolescent or, you know, a, a, a child who um, is struggling, I would certainly, I don't know, Mike, um, you know, he is a wealth of knowledge. Make sure you um, chat with him and follow him and read all of his posts because they are filled with words of wisdom. So next Next week, Mike, we are going to hit chapter three, right? Yep, chapter um, three. What's it called? The, uh, the, teachers. The, the teachers, the Finnish advantage. And I am telling you guys, the next chapter is going to blow your mind because it is so amazing to be a teacher in Finland because you're more highly respected than doctors. And that's how it should be. Okay, so mm -hmm. uh, I am super excited mm -hmm. about that. So you guys, thanks for being here, Mike. Again, thank you for the riveting conversation. I just, I, I don't know. I look forward to Monday night so much. Already looking forward to next Monday. This book is amazing. We got a, we got a great third book lined up. Uh, and oh, at, yep, and every this is the yep. third book. Just so that's, you know, that's it if right you there. Get it. Most likely to succeed, preparing our kids for the innovation era. Mm. So this is a newer book, and I like because it's going to help us really delve into technology. Because I know that this is, um, you know, something that I think people are very concerned about. Um, but I will just promise you this, that in early childhood, I don't care if we live in the digital age or not. It doesn't change the way the nervous system develops. And young children need relationships and young children need varied experiences. And um, they need less screen time. So whatever you do in life for yep. young children, those yep. are really the things we want to focus on. Uh, and make sure you ask yourself this question every day. How many non-screen exper experiences has my child had today? And you need to be able to ask yourself it and you need to be able to answer it. And this is how we increase screen time mindfulness, which is a real um, important uh, component um, uh, uh, that, or, you know, a real important thing that I talk about in all of my social media posts. And it's not just about play with toys, doing chores with parents, right? Setting the table, doing non-preferred activities is something we do in early childhood to set the stage because as you get older, if you can't engage in non-preferred activities, if you can't put your phone down and fold the laundry, put your phone down and go grocery shopping, put your phone down and read to your child, um, you have executive function issues as well. So it's very important that we really focus on screen time mindfulness in this media manic world that we live in. And this is something I describe to parents all the time. This is not something that the brain is just going to adapt to. You know, there's many parents right now that are so sick and tired of dealing with the back and forth arguing and fighting about screens that they start to rationalize it in their heads. 
And they say, oh, at first it was radio. They said radio was evil. They said TV was evil. And now it's video games and screens. And now that's evil. And that's going to ruin kids. Radio didn't do that. TV didn't do that. Screens aren't going to do that now. And I, I can't tell you every day I have, a I have a conversation with parents and they tell me, oh, kids don't socialize outside anymore. They play online video games together. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. They're with their friends. They're online. He's having so much fun. That's just how kids socialize today. You don't understand because you're not from that generation. All of those things could not be more wrong. Playing online video games has never been and never will be a true social experience ever, period. Count that towards the screen-based play, that yep. sort of thing. So yep. screen time mindfulness, number one, is the phrase moving forward. We're yep. going to focus with screen time mindfulness. All the parents that message me and say, how do I build executive functions in the home? Start with screen time mindfulness. So if you're a parent, you should be able to state what your screen time rules are in your family. Like no screens after seven, right? We plug all our devices in in the kitchen at 7 p.m. Or no screen two hours before bedtime. Absolutely no screens in a bedroom and absolutely no screens in any toy room. When a child is playing with toys, they cannot be distracted by having screens present. I mean, there are so many rules, no screens at the dinner table, for example, right? So um, I have a, a whole three-hour course that I do called The Digital Dilemma that really talks about how, and it's all research-based. I mean, this is not just Carrie Ebert's opinion or you know Mike's opinion about what we think. Um, this is all rooted in in evidence and the problem is the more we see screen time you know being excessive the poorer executive function skills are developing right so we're seeing this this real issue and i think this is why we have so many 25 year olds who would rather just live at home because if i don't have the executive function skills to make it on my own and if mom will still do my laundry and mom will cook for me and i can have this job and just pay mom rent i'll just live at home even though i'm an adult so i we have to start understanding that you can't live on your own without executive function skills right you have to have that and um they need mm -hmm. to start becoming a priority uh, because there's something very interesting going on in our society right now. Yeah, since, since the last time I mentioned it on the live, I probably uh, emailed the Grow Now Screen Time Plan, which I wish I can go back in time and name it the Grow Now Screen Time Mindfulness Plan. There you it's go. It's su such, a, such a better term. I probably emailed that to about 50 parents. Uh, and, and parents always write back, oh, this is exactly what I needed. And I always write back and I say, okay, but... It's your job to now implement this in your home. Right. Pr print out those worksheets, make it a rule, sit down with your son or daughter, have a and conversation, it has to be a family rule. and it has and to for, happen. Yes. For Mike and I, something that we, you know, have to be aware of is our screen time mindfulness is important. We model for our children. So, like when I'm done with this, my son is upstairs, I will put my phone down and make sure that I go now spend quality time with him before he goes to bed. He knows I'm on a live. So like he's not, he's 16. So he's not down here, but he certainly is going to want some of my time, if you will. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's very important that we all have screen time mindfulness. And if you have a baby like Mike does, it's important to 
model screen time mindfulness. Sure is. Your wife brings you the baby, right? That you put your phone down and turn it upside down so that you're not distracted when I text you or when somebody emails you and asks for your grow now plan or whatever <laughs> it is, right? We have to be mindful. And I think that that's where we're at in society. Um, technology isn't going anywhere. We live in the digital age. We live in this high tech world and nobody is suggesting you should get rid of your iPad or your phone or nobody's suggesting that. What we're saying is you need to be mindful of your screen time when in the presence of those you love right and that's really what it's about absolutely yep so uh these are little things from these little chapter chats you can you know take with you if you if you would like that the grown the grown out screen time mindfulness plan you can dm me and I'll, I'll be happy to send it to you uh but just overall continue continually think about executive functions that way yep. you know yep. there's no there's no test there's no worksheet there's no you know executive function skills are not like math where you got to sit down and do minute math and sit down and do worksheets, or you got to practice writing over and over or reading over and over. Right. You just have to make sure that your child has limits. They are out of their comfort zone and they're doing all sorts of non-preferred tasks all throughout the day, building their resiliency, building yep. their working memory and building Delaying their mental flexibility. Delaying right. gratification. Delaying so gratification. all you parents that want to know, how do I build the if in the home, screen time mindfulness and varied experiences. Oh, I wish I could think of this book and now I'm not going to be able to find it. There is the funniest book and it, oh, okay. Next week I'm going to have to, okay, I wish I could think. Oh, here it is. Oh my gosh. This <laughs> book, Mike, you would even love this even as a dad. Okay. So it's called Bringing Up Bebe and it's, baby is a French word for baby. And when I was in the airport as a professional speaker, I travel around the country before COVID. I haven't traveled in a year and a half. Like I'm still unemployed. I don't even know. I don't even know what I do anymore. But um, <laughs> anyways, um, I was at the airport and I always go to the bookstore when I'm at the airport. Right. And I see this book bringing up baby. So I like open it and I flip through it. And there's a chapter called why don't French babies throw their food? And I'm like, crap, I need to know because American babies throw their food. So I like buy this book and I like read the entire thing, like while I was in the airport and on the airplane. And it is the most fascinating thing because in France, eating a meal is like a big deal. And it's like, yeah. and it's yeah. like there's multiple, you, yeah. know, um, uh, uh, yeah. you know, things you wait for, for your meal, courses, if you will. And so the reason French babies don't throw their food and you can take, take French babies to like a gourmet restaurant is because when the baby's in the high chair, they give them the first course and the baby is taught to delay gratification and to wait. Waiting is a life skill. This is the sign for wait, right? They're taught to wait until the second course is, is brought. And then the baby eats a few bites of that, whatever it is, and then they have to wait. And then the third course, and then the fourth course. So because they grow children to learn how to wait, which is an executive function skill, right? Being able to delay that gratification, inhibitory control. Um, it's amazing. But this, this author, she's an American who married a European guy and they decided to raise their babies in, in France. And you guys, it's laugh out loud. Like I literally was laughing out loud on the airplane, like where people were looking at me like I was crazy. I have, it is so funny. And as a dad, Mike, you would appreciate this so much. Yeah. So promise yeah. me you will consider ringing. You have to read it with your wife though, bringing up baby. Um, it's just about the way French people raise their babies. It's nothing like the way American people raise their babies. I'll it is that. not. So, it is not. Yeah. It is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So many books. I know I am a fanatic about books. So is Mike, which is why we get along so well. So that's right. Anyway, sorry, this one went uber long. I apologize for that. But Mike, as it's what we do. It's what fabulous. we do. Yep. And this every, every single person 
I think we're doing a better job of, of answering all your questions instead of just going on, on these long, passionate rants. So, uh, you know, I, I, moving forward, we're going to, you know, this is a true book club. And yep. just, because, just because you see our faces and you guys are just typing things out, you guys are a part of this book club just as much as we are. Uh, and every single person who spends your Monday with us, every single person who listens on Spotify and Apple, thank you so much. And, you. and, and you, got, you guys are the reason we're doing this. That's right. So we appreciate all your feedback, appreciate your comments, and hope you can join us next Monday night for Chapter 3 of Finish Lessons 2.0. So, Mike, uh, until next Monday, take care. See you then. All right. Bye-bye, guys.